We've got a lot of things to cover today. Um, go ahead and grab your Bibles to, uh, and turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 8. We've got a lot of things to cover today, so it'll be a lot of teaching, but hopefully it'll be a lot of clarifying um, teaching, Lord willing. Um, if you will, stand with me as we read this passage. We're going to read 8 through 14. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesians. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He, all, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves that carried about and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in, de in deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when it is when each is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, in love. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, be with my mouth today. Lord, I pray that you would um, put down any pride, put down any flesh. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill those listening with your spirit this morning that we would hear what you have said through Paul that we would understand how you have gifted your church, not only as individuals, but how you've gifted us uh, with leadership. Lord, I pray that we would see um, how deeply you care for your bride by giving gifts um, to us. Um, let us see that more deeply today. Let us see your care. Let us see your love in doing these things today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I had to cut this up into two because this is such a big um, subject. So last week we talked about um, leadership that equips, leadership that builds up, and leadership that strives to attain mature unity. Today we're going to go through each one of those functions, and I call them functions on purpose because they're not necessarily offices of the church. Offices of the local body are pastor, elders, and deacons. These other functions kind of permeate the way ministry is done throughout the big c church um, and you'll find people that function in these church functions within a local body sometimes you may, you may or may not have every single person you may not have every single one of these functions but you'll see whispers of them in people you'll see people growing into them you'll see some people who start off in one office and or one one function and then God changes them to another function or he shifts gifts around. He may make one gift prominent in someone's life and then he may build another gift up and lower the other one for what he has purposed us to do in, in any particular time. But last week we looked at how leadership equips, builds up, and, and, and how it strives to attain mature unity. Today we want to look at each of these functions and what they do how each equip, build up, and strive for mature unity. Now, whenever you read this passage and you start reading commentaries and you hear sermons, you're going to hear, hear people angling it from every point of view. Every point of view. But I'm going to narrow it down to it's basically two. It's these two things here. These functions are still happening today or only half of them have stopped. So we're going we're to address that first. It has to be one of those two. Either all of these functions that are listed, that Paul listed for the church, that are gifts to the church, 
Now let's go back to what Paul said. He said that he's given to each gifts. And then he says he himself has given to the church these gifts of leadership. Okay, then we have to address that. We'll start with number two. Well, we want to address that and what I said, number two. Only half of them have stopped. And why do I say that? Well, that's what, that's what is preached, that half of these functions have stopped in the church. Apostles and prophets no longer exi- exist. They just don't. That is how it is preached, that apostles and prophets never exist. They don't anymore. They, they died out. But evangelists, shepherds, and teachers still do. I asked the question, why? Why is that? Why, why are those still around but not the other two? Is there something more to it? That's what we want to get into today. What scripture do these folks use to say that these functions no longer exist? And I'll tell you, I'll just tell you up front, I'm not hiding it. I want you to know what they use. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. I won't read all of it, but I'll read the pieces of it that they're talking about. How many of you remember what 1 Corinthians 13 is about? It's about love. Okay, remember that. It's about love. They say, it says prophecies will pass away. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The people who believe these things have disappeared are called, which is a huge word to some, are called cessationists. They believe that the things have just stopped happening, that it, it went out. <laughs> All right, Stuart. They're <laughs> called cessationists. And they believe that what is called there the perfect is the completed canon of Scripture. It's the completed canon of Scripture. What is wrong with this point of view? What did we say the chapter was about? It's about love. The things listed are whispers from God that enable us to hear and see the intangible God and hear and see the love of God. These gifts that are given to the church are ways of seeing Him moving in, on the daily. Does that mean that we don't have Scripture? No, that doesn't mean that we toss Scripture. But you have people that, that swing on the pendulum on both sides that say, well, if we have gifts, and the people who believe that the, the folks who believe there are gifts, they don't, they don't trust Scripture. Then on the other side, they're, they're hollering the other thing, you know. But it's to, these gifts are given to fill his love in a personal, specific way. And yes, I'll go ahead and answer your question. Yes, I understand that you can feel God's love through scriptures. I'm there with you. You feel God's love when you read scripture. But when these gifts are functioning in the church, you feel it in a different way. You feel it in a very personal way, like he's standing in front of you speaking to you. And he does that as whispers of knowing that he's there with you in the midst of things. When you read this, yes, you feel him very live and very upfront. But when something happens in your face, it means a little different. And we'll get into those things. I'll say this, he is more than the scriptures. I'll say this very carefully, I'll say. He is, he is more than the scriptures. Not in addition to scripture, but deeper into scripture. God is more than just the surface of this book here. He goes deeply into it. Imagine diving into this book and it just goes endless, endlessly. Yes, he's everything that it says on the fronts of the pages, but it goes so much deeper than you realize. Don't, don't bind him up to where he can't speak to you through one of his Holy Spirit-filled people. He can, and he's given gifts for that, that reason. But what this passage, what they're saying, that when the perfect comes, what, what this passage is truly meaning is love never ends. Focus on loving God and your neighbor as yourself. When we actually see Jesus face to face, when we see love in person, we won't need these whispers from God anymore. Why? Because we'll have the original. Why will I need to hear his whispers from Charles when I can go straight to Jesus. And see, I, I get it. People say, yeah, I can go straight to Jesus. Walk with me for a second. This is, this is something some of you may have, never, may have never heard before. You may not have gotten a word from someone else. But these things are live and in action. 
Why would we need the whispers of God when we have the original? We see him face to face. We don't have to look into one another to see his face, to see his service, to see a word from him. You don't have to look at me or Chuck to get a word from the Lord when you have the Lord to go speak to. You get what I'm saying? No one ever says me and Chuck are um, doing a weird thing by coming up here and speaking as from the Lord because it is from this word. No one thinks that's weird, but whenever we see Jesus face to face, well, you guys need me and Chuck? You won't need us anymore. We're out of a job. And I'm glad for it. I'm like, shoot, I'm going to go talk to Jesus myself. I don't, I'm not going to come to you and say, what did he say? No, I'm going to go ask him. I'm going to go ask him face to face. Jesus in, in the flesh. Now I ask this question. If prophecies and tongues are gone like this passage says, does that mean that knowledge is gone too? You know, they say the, the, the tongues are gone, prophecies are gone, and it says knowledge will be no more. Does that mean knowledge is gone? We have no more knowledge? So you have to throw out all of these things together. If tongues are no more, if um, prophecies are no more, he lists knowledge too. So is knowledge out the window too? You, knowledge is gone right now? Like, yeah, these are practical things you have to ask yourself. If apostles and prophets are no more, that means evangelists, pastors, and teachers are gone too, right? But we don't, sit, we don't seem to think that way. So let's get into each of these functions in the church. How many of you like whenever you're eating, I was thinking about this last night, I guess I was hungry. Like whenever you're eating chicken tenders and such, you like to dip them in something, right? Man, y'all, y'all need your hour back, don't you? I, I felt it too this morning. Well, wings, yeah. Do you like sauce on your wings? Yeah, hey, you, got, you don't just eat them plain. You either have a dry rub or something, right? Dry rub's better than the. Hey, okay, now you're talking. Hey, y'all are alive now. Got it. Got some wings going on. Y'all are alive. That hour don't mean nothing when you're talking about wings. Hey, he's with me now. Get him, Taz. But what I want to do here with Romans and, and 1 Corinthians is kind of take each of these functions and dip them in these gifts. You're going to see how each one of them are how each one of them are different recipes of different giftings, and they're not any of them are just cookie cutters. So let's, I'm going to read this for you. Um, Romans 12, 6 through 10. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in, propor in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, there, there are more listed here. It says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Apparently, there's a lot of misinformation going on around there about spiritual gifts. Or he wouldn't have said that. Uh, I think we still have the issue today. I think there's a lot of struggle goes on with it. You know that when you were pagans, you, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is, a, is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now we're talking about manifestations. That's not things that are constantly going on. I'm not talking about when people say they have this gift. They walk around like Jesus, always 100% filled up with this gift. And they're just walking around zapping people and healing them and talking in tongues perpetually. and like It's just not like that. These are manifestations. A manifestation is a feeling. I need you to do something. You're going to do this. I need you to preach this morning. 
I need you to be filled with the Spirit. I need you to go give someone a word, and not just something of your opinion. It's something you can't get off your heart, and you go give it to him. Fills you up. As soon as it's done, it's over. Manifestations of the Spirit. I know y'all like those sound effects, didn't you? That was the Holy Spirit. The pneuma. So, I mean, that's, I want you to catch this, this, this vision. I think people take it too far one way or the other. There are no gifts. And then the people who believe there's gifts, it's like always. I've always got the gifts. And then the people who say, I, that, that person says they have the gift of healing. Why aren't they not going into the, the hospitals and all this? Well, God doesn't want them to go into the hospitals and start doing those things. I've heard so many stories from missionaries of people laying their hands on them and praying for them and them not having the issue anymore. Like, it's cessationism i think is almost an american thing i almost believe that completely whenever you hear missionary stories of people out in the middle of jungles and stuff god does amazing things um i think a lot of the times he doesn't do things in america is because we are too intellectual and we think we've got it all wrapped up and we think we've got it all figured out and so we're going to do things by our medicine completely and you know and trust in what we know instead of what we know about god and what he can do so I think a lot of that gets in our way. But to get back into this, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now see, the American mindset will say, Well, I just learned that in Scripture, and I'm just going to give you some wisdom. Well, apparently, this is a, a Spirit-filling wisdom. There's obviously a difference between that, that wisdom that you didn't have before. It's not just something you just learned. It's something you shouldn't have known about. The utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, or the discerning, discerning spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues, and there are different kinds of that. I'm not getting into the weeds about that today. We don't have time. We don't have time. There's two different kinds of that. And, to, and another to interpretation of the tongues. All these are, in, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, who is he talking to in Corinthians? Who? The leaders? Believers? Yeah. Are we believers? I mean, did that stop? Did, it, did he say this is going to stop when the canon is closed? No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. These are gifts to the church. They're given. It's a given truth, a given knowledge. These things are given to the body of Christ for a purpose. And I want you to remember this too. If you find that you have have a gift, let me let me put this very plainly. It's not yours. It's not yours. The gift is for who? The church. It's for the church. There's a purpose for you to have that gift. And it's not for you to glory in yourself and to puff yourself up. It's to benefit one another when they need something when you see it happening you you help them out you encourage them in a certain way and it's a way that no one else can do it you that's why you'll hear me and chuck say it's so important that all of you show up it's important that me and chuck show up if me and chuck decide one sunday that we're going to say well we don't feel like preaching today good luck what would you guys do yeah you have to preach go preach somebody's gonna have to preach but if you don't believe that you can be empowered by the Spirit to do so, then you're going to go home. You're going to go home. So God will take care of his church. Going on to uh, 30, verse 30 in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Do all possess gifts of healing? Now, why is he talking about this if there's not a gift of healing? Like, what is, why would he be addressing this? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you there's still a more excellent way. Well, my, my notes are, I have to explain this to you guys later. It's, it's so out of way. I'll read verse 27. I'll go back and read it again. Chuck knows, and so does my wife. It's so jumbled up. I think Charles knows it too. Good night. I'm going to get those people. I'm going to fire them. Hey, I have it down there, but it's still out of joint. So... Let me read that again. I'll start in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, 
then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So you see, you see even the order that Paul gives right there, you'll find in the far charismatic circles that what do they make the highest point? Speaking in tongues. What does Paul say is the lowest one? Speaking in tongues and all these lower ones. He doesn't even name them. He names them, but they're not at the top. This is what you're not going to do is, is make one gift higher than the other, or other one and make it the, the litmus test of maturity in spiritual life. Because in those circles, they'll sit there and say, have you spoken in tongues yet? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? If you're not speaking in tongues, then you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, where does Paul say that you need to speak in, everyone speak in tongues? What did he just say? Do all speak with tongues? He's obviously saying, no, not everyone speaks in tongues, and that's okay. That's all right. If you can't speak in tongues, it's okay. He says, desire the higher gifts. The ones that teach, the ones that prophesy, the ones that get, give edification to the body. So let's get into these, each one of these. Starting off with apostles. And first I want to make, make it clear at the very beginning before we dive into this. That none of these functions in the church are cookie cutter. Like, that's what we like to do when we read these things. It's like, well, apostle is always like this. Prophet is always like this. Pastors should always be like this. Chuck, how, how many pastors have you met that are exactly the same? Zero. None of us are the exact same. Why is that? Because we all have different giftings, different strengths and different levels, different recipes of giftings. Why does the Spirit do that? Because He puts each of us in a different context. He's going to equip someone to go into the jungles of Africa, the jungles of Guatemala, differently than he, and then he uh, gifts someone who's here in Monaghan or up in Woodside or in the middle of downtown Greenville. He's going to give different levels and different measures of that. And that's his job. It's not ours. It's not ours to try to force those onto ourselves or someone else. But none of these are cookie cutter. All of them will look different and and each person in these leadership positions will have a different recipe. I want you to think like that, a different recipe. That's the best way I can describe it, of these spiritual gifts as Holy Spirit sees fit to the specific mission and context. So let's ask this question, what is an apostle? An apostle is a sent one. It simply means a sent one, someone who is sent out. You guys ever sent anyone out in this church? Oh, yeah, you have. Sent out a lot of people. Huh. What happened? Oh, okay. Maybe there are some apostles. I don't know. Sent ones. This is the way I classify them. Capital A apostles, and you have lowercase apostles. Let's make this, uh, uh, give a good clarification here. Not everyone is an apostle of the Lamb. You have apostles of the Lamb and apostles of the church. Capital A, apostles, lowercase apostles. The capital A, apostles of the Lamb. Those were those who were directly commissioned by Jesus Christ Himself. Those who saw the resurrected Jesus face to face. Jesus is the cornerstone, and these guys laid the foundation of the church and New Testament Scripture. This apostle, the capital A apostleship, expired when these particular men died out there are no more apostles of the lamb there are no more apostles writing scripture there are no more apostles doing the things and laying out new capital c church things they're not doing that but that work still goes on paul says that that function of lowercase apostle is still given to the church other apostles who were not the twelve. Barnabas was an apostle. He wasn't one of the twelve. He's listed as an apostle in Acts 14.14. 14. James, the brother of Jesus. Galatians 1.19 is considered a, a, 
an apostle of, of, uh, or of the church sent out. Uh, they were sent out by the church. So a lowercase apostle of the church. Who are, who, those are, it's those people who are commissioned by local bodies of believers. Now who are these people today? Missionaries, church planners, circuit rider missionaries. If you, ever, if, you, if you don't know what a circuit rider is, it's someone who plants churches out in the middle of nowhere. Like if you're in the jungle or if you're in Guatemala, you, you would have circuit rider pre- preachers. You'd find believers there. You'd go preach the gospel. Some believers show up there. You ride on horseback or however you get there to another place. You preach the gospel. There's, there's believers that show up there. Well, what happens? There's, these guys are too far apart to greet, meet with one another unless they have horses. So you have a church over there. You have a church over there. You, you go down there. You preach the gospel. There's believers that come to, to know the Lord. Well, then you have a church over there. Well, then these, guys, this, these apostles, these missionaries, these circuit riders go from place to place checking on these believers. Well, doesn't that sound familiar? What, did Paul do that? Did he write to all these places? Yes, he did. This work is still going on. People get freaked out when they hear apostle because they think automatically capital A apostle. Oh, there's no more apostles. They shouldn't do that. But then you have the guys on TV who say, I'm apostle so-and-so, and they're puffed up about it. Well, you're not, you're not an apostle. You're bragging. You're bragging. You're not out there in the, in the jungles going around to these different churches checking on them. You want a bunch of people underneath you. And that, that's not the same thing. So it gets so twisted, um, especially on TV, especially with pride involved. Because any of these circuit riders or these, these uh, church planners or missionaries, they don't think very highly like, of themselves. They're just out preaching the gospel and taking care of God's people. So what spiritual gifts are typical, I say typical, of an apostle? Spiritual teaching, spirit-filled teaching, Preaching, gospel foundation, leadership. They have have a leadership, an entrepreneurial, I can't even say that word. I never can say that word. Entrepreneurial. Is that right? Where's the English people in here? Is that right? Entrepreneurial. (laughs) Got it. Becca says it's good. Jessica's not here. She can't give me a thumbs up. I feel insufficient. Um, They have that entrepreneurial drive to start things and to set them up you want to set them up you want to start a church you you have that drive if you don't have that drive you won't start a church you won't be a church planner you can, you have to have that drive to be able to know how to start a ministry get it going leave somebody with it start another ministry get it going leave somebody with it and you get it running you have to have a drive for that that's what the, a, a modern apostle, lowercase apostle, would have. They have spiritual discernment. They shepherd. They have she- gifts of shepherding and overseeing a big picture. Most of the time, these guys have a bigger scope of things. They're not in the weeds with everyone because they're not a shepherd shepherd. You get what I'm saying? And they have love. So how do these lowercase apostles equip the church? How do they equip they are reapers. Holy Spirit reaps in the harvest with these people. They sow foundational ground, ground floor teaching by the Holy Spirit. They gather believers. They're, they're what you'd call in a church planting circles a gatherer. People just come around them, naturally come around them. Um, they take hold of ministry and help birth it. They take it and they're like, hey, we've got to develop this thing. We've got to get it born. Once it's born, I'm looking for leaders. I'm going to take that and I'm going to put the leaders in there. I'm going to train them up and I'm going to leave them with it. Yeah, those kind of people. Raise up leaders and leave that ministry with pastors and elders who will care for the local body long term. So that's how they equip the church. How do, how do lowercase apostles build up the church? They keep in touch with those people they, because, they love that, uh, because of their love for that ministry, the love for those people. They encourage the ministry. How do lowercase apostles strive to attain mature unity in the church? They give gentle pushes to excel in the spirit and in the specific mission of that local body. And I'll say this, they are not greater than the leaders left there. They are equal in importance with different spiritual gifting. And you see that in Peter. When Peter's writing in his letters, you know, he was a capital A apostle. But then he kind of shifted into just the apostle work. And then he said, fellow elders... Then he started seeing everybody as equals. He wrote to them as fellow elders. So it's not a, uh, a calling that is greater than the other one. Next, prophets. 
So what is a prophet or a prophetess? Yes, there can be prophet, prophetesses. Stuart, just messing with you. One who is a foreteller and a forthteller. Capital P prophet and lowercase p prophet. Same, same principle. Same principle. Old Testament prophets are capital P prophets. These guys laid the foundation, the canon of Scripture, directly from the mouth of God. The Logos, speaking directly from Him, spoke, wrote the Word of God. In the New Testament, you have lowercase p, uh, lowercase p prophets. They do not lay foundation, canon of Scripture. They do not. They are not adding to Scripture. They speak as the oracles of God. They do not add new Scripture, but contain the wisdom and truth of the canon of Scripture. When someone prophesies to you and you see pro someone prophesying to someone else in the New Testament, they're, they're referring to a truth of Scripture. I know a lot of this stuff is real new, real new. It's, it, it's going to take some processing. But when someone's prophesying to you, they don't say, I'm prophesying to you. They, get, they have a word for you, an utterance of wisdom, an utterance of knowledge, something they shouldn't have known about, something that doesn't make sense to them, but they're telling you. But it makes sense to you, between you and the Lord, and it makes all the sense in the world to you. And it adds up to them. It adds up to Scripture. It's not new Scripture, but it points to Scripture. It is always adding up to Scripture. It never, never... don't. Get this, it never contradicts Scripture. If someone comes and tells you they have a word from the Lord and it contradicts Scripture, they are not from the Lord. Period. They're, they're not from the Lord. I don't care where they came from. I don't know. I don't care how many, uh, uh, how many times they've called themselves an apostle or how many years they've been an apostle. If it's a word from the Lord and it contradicts Scripture, it is not from the Spirit of God because everything will add up to this. The reason it's called the canon is because it's a measuring stick. Everything adds up to this book. But then things go deeper into this book, remember? They give specific direction from the Holy Spirit. You've heard me say that before, the difference between Logos and Rhema. A lot of people say there's no difference. But Jesus said, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every Rhema of the Word of, the word of God. That means your direction as the days go on. Yeah, it's founded and grounded in this, in the Logos, but you'll get words of direction. As long as your eyes and your antenna is up, you'll see God speaking to you in a specific way, a specific word of direction. And sometimes it comes from your brothers and sisters. So don't, don't let yourself drift off into over-spirituality and you're like, oh, I think I have a word. Well, you'll know it if you have one. You, you can't hold it in. It's just like Jeremiah where he says, I have a fire inside and I can't hold it in. It, that's, he's a prophet, capital P prophet. The God, God put the word in him. And he could not hold it in. He had to go speak it. Same principle on a lowercase level. God will give you a word to say to someone, and it's not you venting to them. It's a specific something to them. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Prophets and teachers who sent Paul and Barnabas out as apostles of the church. Interesting. You got all three of them there. Prophets and teachers who sent Paul and Barnabas out as apostles of the church. They were sent out. Philip's daughters prophesied. Women prophesied. Acts 21, 8 through 9. Now this does not mean, if you're, if you're, if you're finding yourself functioning in a prophet situation, that does not mean that they're pastor or elders. That's why this doesn't contradict. You know, women are not allowed to be responsible for a church. They're not, they're not permitted to be elders. They, God doesn't want them to do that because it's out of order, as Stuart preached. It's out of order with the way God created everyone. He created the man first, then the woman. Well, it doesn't say that they can't be prophetesses. It doesn't mean that they can't be filled with the Spirit and have a word to give you. That's very possible, but that doesn't mean they're an elder or a pastor because they've prophesied. Philip's daughters prophesied. Acts eleven twenty seven through 30. Prophets foretold by the Spirit that there would be a worldwide famine. 
Now, were they capital P prophets from the Old Testament? No, the guy's name was Agabus. He prophesied to the apostles and to the disciples that there would be a worldwide famine. What did they go and do? They went and told the disciples, and they said, hey, we we're going to go prepare, and they sent, out, they sent out help to the brothers and sisters. So there are prophets other than the Old Testament. They're in there. What spiritual gifts are typical of a prophet, a lowercase prophet? Well, their nature is they have an insatiable desire for truth to be spoken and to be followed. They can't, they can't get it off their mind. When they, they know there's a truth, it has to be spoken. It has to be corrected. It's, it's, it, 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 it consumes their mind, that truth does. Their nature also is they don't play spiritual games or patty cake <laughs> with spiritual game players. They just don't. They don't have time. They, they don't have, uh, they're not going to play games with you. They're not going to beat around the bush. They're not going to walk with you down the street and play games about the, the situation. They're just going to tell you directly. They're very straightforward. Now those spiritual gifts, that was the nature. The spiritual gifts are, they'll have a word or an utterance of knowledge, which is supernatural. It's not something you learned and you're just sharing what you learned. It's something, I've had this happen to a friend of mine, another pastor friend of mine. Someone told him something they should not have known about. Told, and, and they said, I have a word for you. They told him to prepare him because they didn't know who he was. Told him exactly what the problem was in a word of knowledge. A word of wisdom, it could have been mixed up a little bit. Different recipe at the, at the word given. And they told him about the entire situation. It wasn't vague, it was very specific. Anybody can tell a vague word. I have a word for you. Rain is coming. Well, that's, I can't believe it, he prophesied to me. Like it's just, you know, it's not like that. It's a very specific to your life kind of thing. Um, and it's something that the Lord laid on their heart, and you know it. You know it when they're saying it to you. You're like, yeah, that's from the Spirit of God. Well, there's a reason why Paul warns us to test the spirits. He says that in, in, in Thessalonians, test the spirits. And hold to what is, hold is what is good. Hold to those things that are good. Throw out the bad. Take the meat, leave the bones, because there's flesh always involved. So you have to de decipher between those things. You have an utterance of knowledge, utterance of wisdom. It's supernatural. It's not just wisdom. It's supernatural, something that you shouldn't have known about. Gift of discerning spirits. Gift of discerning spirits versus discernment and wisdom. There is a difference. There is a difference. And let me take a second and explain that. Regular discernment is just godly wisdom. It's godly wisdom. You've been in the Word and you've been you've been given you're giving somebody wisdom plainly that's just like hey that's that's what scripture says discerning spirits is not the same as discernment discerning spirits is this you plainly see the work of holy spirit in someone's life what he is teaching almost before it starts happening you see it in someone's life and you're like that that person's going to be doing something great god is doing something with them you notice it before it starts happening you plainly see the work of the enemy in someone's life. What the enemy's doing to distract. I've explained this to, to people before because um, I do honestly believe that's one of my gifts. I'm convinced of it. You can see through many, the many layers that people build up around their hearts. Um, it's almost like people are, <laughs> you're going to think it's funny, you'll never forget it. Though. It's almost like people are onions with different layers of skin around them. And the the gift of spirit discerning spirits is almost like you see through all of those layers to almost to the heart you can almost see the intent of the heart almost don't say that I, no man knows the other person's heart but you can almost see the intent of the heart of why they did a good thing or why they did a bad thing or why, where they are in their life um and it's nothing special you know what it's for is to benefit the church and i'll, I'll get into that It is so plain to the one with this spiritual gift that it, it makes others seem oblivious. And it gets frustrating in the flesh sometimes that people can't see something that's so plain. But it gets frustrating. They also have the gift of teaching and preaching and they have the gift of loving God's body. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-21 It says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. He's telling us to test everything. So you don't just listen to everybody that says they're prophesying. You test it. You test it. Does it add up to Scripture? Does it contradict Scripture? But he also starts out with saying, do not quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. So how do prophets equip the church? They help the flock to get where God is taking them, physically and spiritually. They see the seeds of the flock's giftings and are able to guide in that direction. How do prophets build up the church? Because they can see through the layers of the flock, not constantly, don't, don't, don't slip back into that. It's not a constant thing. It's when God wants them to see this to help the church. Because they can see through the layers of the flock, they can encourage others on how to do ministry with one another in the best way. When they can see through one person and see through another, and say, well, I understand, I can see that. Well, then how, how am I going to connect them to work together to do with the things, that, to accomplish the mission that they have? Can help prepare for partnerships with other known believers. Give utterances of knowledge or wisdom into a situation that they may or may not have previously known. Holy Spirit speaks through them specifically, many times without the person's knowledge. The people with this gifting will say things, or a prophet will say things, and they don't even realize that it's meaning something totally different in someone's life. And they'll say, well, the Holy Spirit really spoke through that. Well, that's a kind of an angle, that's kind of a, a side effect of that, of that gift, of that function in the church. Sometimes it's a very pointed, specific message from Holy Spirit to a specific person that means nothing to the prophet. And I say that loosely, so don't let your mind just think prophet, prophet. Just, just that person with that, 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 uh, that function. The message is specifically to be dealt with between that person and God. So how do lowercase prophets strive to attain mature unity in the church? They can see all the players at work plainly and help to cut off issues before they become a big issue. Just like I said, it's not a constant, ever-acting work. It, it comes as the Holy Spirit manifests Himself. It's a manifestation whenever God needs something done. Number three, evangelists. What is an evangelist? Now everybody's like, whew. Okay, now we're talking about the stuff I know about. Like, you know, there's evangelists and pastors and so, That's good. What is an evangelist? This is simply a bringer of good news, a preacher of good news. The first evangelists were women at the tomb. Philip is named an evangelist. What are the spiritual gifts that are typical of an evangelist? Well, first I will say I have a different point of view about this because a lot of people will say there's a gift of evangelism. I'm, 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 I sit there and I look at that and I'm like, well, that's like a gift of telling good news. Like, I just I think it's weird that anyone would say that they have, there's a gift of evangelism. I think it's just a little off in the description. The gift, the gift is... The gift is to the church as an evangelist. The one who gets the label um, as having the gift of evangelism are reapers. You see people who are reaping all the time. They're like, man, they must, be, they must have the gift of evangelism. Well, no, God is just reap, using them to reap all the time. Because an evangelist not always will, are not always reapers. Sometimes you can be called to be an evangelist and function as that in the church and never see people come to the Lord. You can be a sower all your life. You go out and you're an evangelist, you can't, you're consumed with preaching the gospel. And you're sowing the whole time, or you're watering on other people's preaching. But just as Paul said, some plant, some water, God brings the increase. Reaping is not the definition of an evangelist. Proclaiming the gospel is the definition of an evangelist. Someone who can't keep their lips closed. They turn every conversation into one about the gospel. It doesn't matter if you're talking about cookies in the middle of a bakery. You're going to talk about the gospel. You're going to get it around to it somehow because they love the person so much they're consumed with, with compassion for the person that may be going to hell that they're going to speak the gospel. They cannot be quiet about the gospel. What spiritual gifts are typical of an evangelist? Spiritual gift of teaching. I think that's what it is. It's a spiritual gift of teaching, but it's, it's focused in on the gospel. 
Because whenever they preach the gospel, people understand it in a way that they don't hear it from someone else. Same thing with a, a general gift of teaching. When you have the gift, spiritual gift of teaching, you teach things and people understand it in a way that they didn't understand it before. But these people, it's, it's laser focused on the gospel. When they preach the gospel, people hear it in a way and they understand it in a way that they've never understood it before. They have the gift of compassion and mercy and love. Their hearts absolutely break for the ungodly. The urgency or the shortness of life is heavy on them, but they rest in, in God's saving, not them. So how do evangelists equip the church? Their spiritual gift of teaching will come into play by teaching the church how to effectively share the gospel. Now, will they be, all be evangelists? No, they won't. But those evangelists will go throughout the church and teach people, this is how you should do this in this situation. Say it this way. Like, help them to see the gospel in this manner. They will teach the church that way. The best example of an evangelist that I can give you that most of you would know about is probably Ray Comfort. He is functioning in the Big C Church as an evangelist. Every time you see him, he's talking about the gospel or he's talking to someone about the gospel. Or if he's talking to the church, He's talking to them how to witness or how to be equipped to do it better. That's what an evangelist does. He equips people. He shows them how to do it better. That's Ray Comfort all day long. They, they, they build up the church by always being encouraging and reminding the body to proclaim Jesus, cheering them on for everyday victory. And I'll say this, victory is this, is sharing the gospel, not conversions. If you, wanna, you want victory in, in, in preaching the gospel in your witness, the victory is you speaking, is opening, the ma- opening your mouth. It's not the conversions, because who does the conversions? The Lord does. He brings regeneration, as you guys were talking about in Sunday school this morning. He does that. He, he causes people to be born again. The victory in witnessing is opening your mouth and, and spreading the gospel. And how do evangelists strive to attain mature unity in the church? No matter what denomination it is, if they are a true evangelist, and I say that on purpose because when you hear evangelists, a lot of times you think televangelists and those guys with the suits on and all this stuff. That's not them. When you have a true evangelist, they pull us all together under the banner of Jesus being the life-giving good news to dead sinners. You have an evangelist from this denomination, an evangelist from that denomination, uh, so on and so forth and they're all true genuine evangelists when they get together it doesn't matter who's pulling together it's about the gospel and they preach the gospel to every creature and to make disciples and the last one pastors and teachers what are pastors pastors are under shepherds of the good shepherd and i say that with very very much uh, intention of saying that that way because when you think you're the shepherd, a lot of times you'll leave Jesus out. We are under shepherds. Chuck and I are under shepherds of heritage because we're following the good shepherd. So we are not anything great. We're functioning in this function of the church that he has gifted to the church, to his bride. Bishops, overseers, elders, all of these names are, are one and the same office. No difference. It's one and the same, one thing. Some count this when they read this, uh, pastors and teachers as one, pastor, teacher. I mean, I'm cool with that, but the thing, the thing is, the gift of teaching is listed in Romans and 1 Corinthians apart from pastoring. So there, there is a distinction to be had. You can be a teacher and not be a pastor. Um, I've known some pastors before that are in, in that position of being a pastor but are not shepherds. Uh, me and Chuck call them all the time. We call them uh, preachers. They show up and they preach and they don't, they don't shepherd during the week. They, they make sermons and they preach on Sunday and they go home. And they start on the next sermon. And they show up the next Sunday and they preach a sermon. And they're not shepherds. They're not pastoring people. So you can be spiritually gifted as a teacher and not be spiritually gifted as a shepherd. You have women teachers, men teachers, professors um, you can even be a teacher and not be spiritually gifted at it. it, it there's so many recipes of this that, that, that can go on. 
You can be brilliant teachers without any spiritual gifting as a shepherd or a teacher. It is not a natural talent or skill that you can force. Having the spiritual gift of shepherding God's people is, is supernatural. I tell young, young men all the time, you want to be, be a pastor. If you can do something else, go do it. Because in the flesh, you will quit. You will either quit because there's just so many things going on, or you'll turn into a preacher. You'll do one of the two. You won't, you won't continue to shepherd in your flesh. You can't do it. You cannot shepherd God's people in your flesh and be okay you can be a preacher and show up and preach sermons on sunday but if you're not empowered by the holy spirit to through a spiritual gifting of shepherding you won't you won't care enough to to go through the week and and deal with people's um, issues you won't do that so you can be spiritually gifted as a teacher and not be a pastor elder but you cannot be a pastor without being spiritually gifted as a teacher what are the spiritual gifts of a pastor elder teaching preaching shepherding love encouragement leadership serving discernment the wisdom kind and and the gift of discerning spirits can be quite helpful at times um, seeing what's actually going on in people's lives in in a spiritual way but every pastor has a mixture in different levels of different spiritual gifts just as the other functions to the church. You, you find yourself in a different church someday and you see a different pastor and you're going to say, well, well, they're better than Matt and Chuck. Or, or you, you think vice versa for whatever reason um, that <laughs> we're better than anyone else. Um, that's not the case. Um, we have so many pastor friends and they are all gifted in different ways and they are doing what they're supposed to do and no one else can do it in that place the way they do it because of the gifts that they have been given and the and the mission and the call that they've been given no one else could do that any better at that moment you couldn't take chuck and go put him into another church and it be exactly the way it's supposed to be the way the holy spirit wants it to be just like i said not every pastor is cookie cutter not every one of these functions is cookie cutter so how do pastors equip the church? Does anybody know that? You, how do pastors equip the church? Bring in the word. Yep, I was hoping they'd say it. That's going to be Chuck's thing, you know. Discipleship, teaching and preaching the scriptures. How do pastors build up the church? By studying scripture, by praying for the church, loving the church, serving the church, caring for the church. Protecting the flock from wolves. Protecting the flock from spiritual attack through prayer and action. Many times, you guys won't see the things that, that we've protected you guys from or, or cut off at the pass or stopped before it became an issue. Or, and that's okay. That's what we're supposed to do. And that's more so so you can enjoy Jesus and live a peaceable life. Um, but that's what shepherds do. Always pointing to Jesus, striving for humility among brothers and sisters, showing and discipling the flock to do all of the above out of love and humility. We can teach you guys to do all of those same things, and you may never be gifted spiritually in doing them, but there's still things to be done. There's still work to be done with one another and discipling one another. And so how do pastors strive to attain mature unity in the church? By knowing the flock. Building, the fa- building on the foundation of Christ, gold, silver, and precious stones, and not wood, hay, and stubble. Striving for humility with, with each other and with other churches. I'll say that very emphatically. To strive with unity and humility with other churches. We're not in competition. All the churches around us, we're not in a competition for customers. That's just not what we do. American mindset it has that consumer mindset of, hey, we need to do everything for the customers on Sunday. We need to have everything presented for them so they feel comfortable, so they feel good, so they'll come back and be repeat customers. Well, that's not what church is. Church is family. Church is family. Yeah, the church families, families have business to tend to. We all have bills to pay, right? We all have bills to pay. So there is business in families, but the family is not a business. And it ought not to ever be a business. But it has slipped into that so often. 
So we're not in competition with the next church. We're for them. We should partner with them to do things to help them. Growing the flock up and teaching correct doctrine and living that out with them. So in conclusion, Jesus, God, has given His church these gifts for us to use for and with one another. For what reason? What Paul said here, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How many of you are close to having the stature of the fullness of Christ? Not me. So I need you to show up on Sunday. I need you to show up during the week. I need to be the full, uh, I want to I be the stature of the fullness of Christ. I need you guys. Chuck needs you guys. Vice versa. We all need one another. So I want you to think about this. How would the church at large be affected if we would not quench the spirit in the areas of how God has gifted his bride to care for one another in the world? Like I've said before, I really believe it's an American issue. I know, I know it's everywhere. But our intellectualism quenches the spirit so many times. And it's, it's both of them. Yeah, you need to be smart. You know, the pendulum swings. The people who say it's all about the spirit, they say you shouldn't study. Just stand up and start talking. Just let the spirit do it. Well, that's not prudent. That's not wise at all because scripture tells us to study scripture. But then on the other side of it, you have the, the people who are all about the studying. You know, the, the people that come, they're more along my ilk of people who, that I grew up with. They're like, they love studying. They're studying so much that, you know, I know about it in here, and they don't leave any room for the Spirit. They push the Spirit out. They quench the Spirit. So we don't need to be on either side. We need both of those. We need to use our intellect with the Spirit Exactly, that's what I was thinking. I was trying to, it came through. See, I needed that. I needed that. It's what Martin, yeah, it's what Martin Lloyd-Jones calls logic on fire. That's the best way to put it, I think, if, unless something else comes across. Logic on fire. So I, I want to tell you these last things. Don't be afraid of Holy Spirit. He's here to help us to conform us to the image of Jesus. And who's to say he can't do the things he's doing in the New Testament today because the New Testament never stopped, did it? When did the New Testament stop? We're still products of the New Testament. We are in the New Testament. We're still going. Let's thank God and praise him for not leaving us helpless, but giving us each gifts and also forgiving gifts to lead the church with let's pray well father we're thankful that you not only did you save us not only did you rescue us from our our sin and our death and being alone and and under your wrath lord you brought us up to par but then you give us gifts You've given us every spiritual blessing to give to one another. To each, you've given a gift. And we all need that. And then you've given a gift of leadership. And Lord, I pray that Chuck and myself and our deacons and such will never be to a point where we think more highly of ourselves than we should that we abuse the gift that you've given to your body, to your bride. And Lord, we pray for those leaderships in, in different churches that are abusive to the bride of Christ. Because Lord, we are accountable to you, the groom, and you're coming back to get us. You're coming back to receive your bride unto yourself, and we will be out of a job, and I will love it. We'll love it because we will see you as you are plainly all of the prophecies will pass away all of these tongues will pass away all of these whispers will be no more we won't hear whispers in the wind we will see you face to face 
Scripture will be completely alive, walking with us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for those things. Lord, deepen our understanding of what you have prepared for us. Lord, we know that it is not entering into man the things that you've prepared for us, but Lord, help us to be excited about those things that we don't know it's that good for us. In Jesus' name.